Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and welcome to another episode of the Dental Amigos podcast, where I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be talking to you, Rob. Good to see you, Paul, as always. And uh, here we are in season three, talking about buy-ins, partnership agreements, and things like that. Uh, today's episode is going to go over the process and who you should be working with and assembling your team. But the process, you know, as we were here, two Philly guys sitting in Philadelphia. Yeah, I was going to say. It's a, those two words were like somewhat like a funny, dirty, yeah. dirty words for a while. Trust the, the process. The Sixers, right? Yeah. For a long time, the, the Sixers made questionable acquisitions yeah. and, and trades. And they kept saying, you know, trust the process, trust the process. And I guess, well. Yeah, they're in a good spot. I mean, they're in a good spot, not a great spot. But, it, you know, as we're recording this, it is an embarrassment of Philadelphia sports riches between the Eagles and the Phillies. So it's a good time to be a Philly sports fan. Yeah, it's safe to say, I think that the Phillies process has panned out better yeah, at least for now than for the sure. Sixers. And I mean, how do you feel as a uh, as a New York Giants fan when you say that things are going well for the Eagles? Well, I've transplanted. I, I think I've done the thing that, you know, I think I'm, I'm probably going to lose some respect. But that's okay in sports land. But I really have to say I am an Eagles fan. I live here. My daughter's FB Eagles fan, so I've, I'm a transplant now. I've, I've give, I haven't given up on the Giants, but I can't live in Center City, Philadelphia, and be a Giants fan for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Your, your safety and <laughs> yes, well-being, exactly. and the f- well-being of your yeah. family being yeah. first and foremost. So. Like, I would, I would not advise you to go strolling down Chestnut right. Street in a Giants with an jersey. Eli jersey. You're not, you're no. not, yeah, no, that would be that would be a silly thing to do. Yeah. So, uh, well, whatever brought you to being an Eagles fan, you know, for self-interest or otherwise, yeah. Paul, welcome to oh, the thanks. to the nest, so to speak. <laughs> and yeah, it is. Uh, an embarrassment of riches. So hopefully uh, things continue to uh, stay like this. It's like when I was a, a young sports fan in uh, growing up in Philadelphia in the, you know, I guess, you know, mid, late 70s, early 80s. It was just a yeah, matter of- 80 was the Phillies, 82 was the Sixers win. You right. know, the Sixers were good all those years. And, you know, and the Great Eagles went to the, the uh, Super Bowl in the yeah. 80s season. The Phillies, you know, were- Going to the National League Championship Series, you know, on every every year, the Flyers are coming off Stanley Cup wins in '74 and '75. Like I, and I foolishly thought as a young sports fan in Philadelphia that that was the way it was always going to be. Yeah, and um, and then we entered, you know, sort of the desert for <laughs> yeah. for, for a couple of decades. They didn't have to take out any of the grease for the light poles for a while, right? No. That's what we do in Philly. Every, no. There's an obsession with getting on top of the light pole. Right? I know we were talking about that <laughs> with 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 James, uh, our paralegal. You know, like at what point? Do you just get so excited that you have to <laughs> yeah. climb a light pole, yeah. like uh, a uh, a light post, you know, and then and then not get down when the police tell you to. It's an interesting. I thing. also this too, Rob. I, I said this to my team this morning because you know I hope things keep going well for the Phillies, but if they win at home, you know, like if something good happened in your life, would you go home and break everything in your house? I've never understood this. Why out of excitement do people start breaking things like cars in the city? Maybe this time would be different. It's not just Philadelphia. Oh, I mean, for sure. Championships have been won in other cities yeah, where cars are set on yeah. fire. You know, I don't know how that's the expression of excitement, fire. you know? March yeah, down Broad Street, you know? Yeah. Uh, 
That's not how I express my, my, my <laughs> yeah, excitement right. or happiness. Go over and break your coffee table. What happened? I got a promotion. This coffee table's broken. Well, I'll tell you, Mary, we had the best CE. <laughs> yeah. I burned the house down. Yeah, yeah, right. It was so good. I know. And uh, Jason Smithson was so good. We just, yeah. you know, we had to just <laughs> flip cars over on Broad Street. Uh, all right, we digress. Uh, back to the the process. So, you know, some of these things we're going to talk about really touch on subjects that we've talked about already in this season. But I think it's good to kind of tie it together, understand the context of, you know, how these discrete aspects fit into the overall process yeah. you know, and when and how to actually go about doing it. So um, I'll say, too, that there's really no one way or right way to proceed. You know, every deal right. is different, especially with partnerships. You know, and I think uh, a lot of times people will come to us and say, can you just tell us how we should do the partnership? Right. And uh, well, we can talk about your partnership. We can get more background and information right. from you folks about what your expectations are and your understanding and and go from there. But there is no sort of universal right, partnership sure. set up, right? So, um, and that's the case with all this stuff. You know, this is, we're going to talk about sort of the, the timeline when things kind of go by the book, so to speak. Yeah. And um, that rarely happens in, in our world and, you know, obviously in the dental world too. Yeah, for that, sure. Uh, things are just going to be uh, the same way every time and as you would expect them to, to go. So, Starting off, you know, really what we're talking about, the first step is identifying opportunities. Right. So, you know, we talked earlier in the season about uh, buying in or partnering at the practice where you are an associate. But we also talked briefly, but there are other ways to do it. I mean, sometimes we see partnerships, buy-ins, where uh, there is maybe a, a, a one-doc ownership yeah. practice that realizes they want to transition at some point in the future, bring yeah, people can come from, from outside. outside outside the practice too. I've been involved in those deals. And you know, it's interesting and you see this whole world daily and, and I do through dental what nachos, it's it's really awesome when more than one dentist works together, right? I mean, in a in a in a meaningful way, but it also just comes can come with a lot of aggravation too in the process. So it just right. has to be a really uh purposeful, as you would say, set up deal from the beginning. When you're looking at these things, it can't be taken lightly. Yeah. Um, can't be because you don't have any other options out there. Yeah. It's usually not a good reason to make any decision. True, exactly. <laughs> um, so I think this process is important for both parties to look into and identifying deals. And, you know, kind of like, you know, it's, it's, it's a popular phrase, you know, know your why, know yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, are you the type of person who's going to want to have a business partner that you're linked to in a way that's as serious as a marriage and unlinking is a enormous deal. And I'm sure you've seen the unlinking of partnerships. Yep. Maybe because they, those could be thing. painful. Yep. Uh, but when they go well, they can go really well. So identifying deals, you're the type of person who wants to share in the burden and, and the benefits of general practice ownership. There's a lot of ways to identify deals from where you work to and also connecting with brokers. Right, brokers, yeah, colleagues. And yeah. Just, and we talked about this in a lot of different ways and a lot of different uh, situations, which, you know, just getting out there, being part of the, the dental community where you practice and meeting people, meeting older dentists yeah. that are owners, meeting younger dentists who are associates looking to be owners. You know, that's uh, that's an easy uh, kind of first date, so For to speak. Sure. And, and the context I would mm -hmm. share, the part of the process that's set up throughout, because this happens is, 
you know, how close in age are the partners? My brother and I are five years apart in age. So I, I don't imagine there's a time where one of us is going to want to stop practicing dentistry and the other ones are going to want to practice for the next 30 years. I just right. don't imagine that happening. Right. But I've been asked on deals where, you know, there's a 65-year-old partner and a 42-year-old partner. 65-year-old wants to retire and the 42-year-old doesn't want the whole practice. Right. And they say, you can only retire till you find me. And sometimes those, Rob, could be awesome opportunities for somebody. Yeah. You know, you have to be the right fit. And I've seen, and you must do these deals with the contracts, but you might not jump in day one and be the partner on day one, mm -hmm. but you're set up to be a partner in a short time frame. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and again, and what you're saying is, Every deal, every situation is different, yeah. right? You know what what that practice owner who wants to bring on a partner looks like, what their why is, what their reasons are, what their timing is, the goals and expectations of the person that's joining them. But and that kind of leads us into the next topic, uh, which is discussing and meeting with potential partners. Yeah. And I think this again, you know, no two deals are the same. There's no standard playbook for this. It's important to have conversations, just yeah. like any relationship, where you ask the difficult questions right. and make sure that you're on the same page. Don't just assume that this person's a dentist, they own a dental practice. I'm going to buy in and become their partner and that there will be this scripted sort of like yeah. sitcom, you know, sort of, you know, uh, uh, path towards right. what this looks like. And it's just going to be a-okay and fine and we'll be happy best friends right. all of a sudden. We're work best friends, you know, and, and it doesn't always work that way. And if certain people want to bring partners on for the same reason that somebody wants to become a partner, then, hey, that, that's a right. good start. But if, uh, if the reasons aren't there, for a lot of the reasons we've talked about, then maybe it's not. But it's very much having your eyes open uh, and, and, and seeing this for what for it sure. is, which is, hey, this is a unique individual. This is a unique practice. I'm a unique individual. How does this fit in with my life, my profession, how much money I need right. to make, right? And you need to be honest with yourself. I think, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, the, the good intentions can lead to bad outcomes for both parties, right? You know, mm -hmm. where right. somebody might be an older dentist saying, you know, I'm going to offer partnership to this younger dentist, not knowing themselves, not knowing themselves as a decision maker, things you've said throughout our time sitting here on these microphones is, you know, are you the type of person who wants to throw the $5,000 holiday party? And are, are you the type of person who wants to take the team to Chipotle, right? right? And right. even those things might sound funny-ish, they're big, could be serious relationship problems right. inside of it. Uh -huh. And I think, you know, the process that, and also for a younger dentist who's buying in, and just like I said, you have to figure out at what point is that more seasoned dentist going to retire because sometimes it could be faster than you want. Sometimes it'd be longer than you want. Yeah. And I think both parties have to be just really genuine and authentic in what they see their future as with not the, I know we joke about this answer, but it depends is kind of an accurate answer to a lot of things. But I would say, tell me more about that older dentist who says, right. I'll retire one day, right? Mm -hmm. right? Imagine if someone's sitting down about to marry someone and say, when do you want to have kids? <laughs> one day I'll have kids, right? <laughs> right? Is that good enough? One day, you know? <laughs> say, well, okay, let's move into a decade here. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Um, and I don't think dentists are trained, Rob, to sometimes have these difficult conversations because they're conflict, they're, they're laden with conflict. Totally. And you know, they're, they're not always that dramatic. It's sort of like, it just makes them think about the next stage of their life, right? I mean, and, and this goes the other way in this process. It's the seller sometimes needing to be able to lead their associate and saying, when would you want to buy into this practice, mm -hmm. right? When would you? I want. I would like to have a partner here. And I think um, what you see in this process with it is also how will the new partner 
interact with the team after they've been, you know, it's kind of a, we have a lot of the England stuff like knighted as partner, right? <laughs> Just because they show up one day and they're knighted as partner right. doesn't mean people view them any differently. Right. Oh, that's for sure. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. That That's that's a real thing. And, and it goes both ways, too. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that's why it's that's why we're calling this the difficult conversation, because right. it's, it's difficult to have. But a, a conversation that needs to be had, you yeah. know, and um, it's the same thing. We can stick with the uh, the relationship, the marriage and the kid analogy yeah. that, you know, like you don't get married and find out after that the other person doesn't want to have kids or the other person wants to have 10 kids. Like that's something you probably should have chatted about before you got married, yeah. probably somewhere along the less sure. than 10th date, maybe even. But, uh, and, 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 uh, what I'll share is I think, and you see this, if you want to make the most money in your career, having a partner usually is not the answer because you have the ability to share. My dad had a partner and that's probably the only reason we became a dentist because, you know, covered for each other on vacation, shared cases, things like that. But, the solo dentist usually has the most maximum earning potential because they don't have to share revenue with people. Right. Doesn't mean you can't grow a partnership into something fantastic revenue-wise, right. but in the initial stages of it, if someone says, hey, I'm gonna partner with this dentist, I'm gonna make twice as much as what I make now, that story may not fit with the facts later. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You have to be you have to be realistic with that. And I, I think that's a good point that unless you're partnering for the reason of expanding to four or five locations, right. then yeah, I mean, you're going to be maxed out at half of the one location practice. Right. And um, there are only so many business hours or so many hours in the day that patients want to come in and that people want to work for you. And depending on how much space you have, that's, you know, and there's I, I a think ceiling. It's kind of what we're talking about is that what's the, the morale, there are, there are real morale benefits to having partnerships because when your team, they can be amazing, but they can also cause a lot of challenges, right? When there is another partner on site, you do have the ability to say, go at, like, you know, sometimes you could say, I say, go ask your mom that question. Right. When you're a solo practitioner, you're the only one, you're the single parent of the practice. And that comes with a lot of responsibility and also a lot of potential with income. But if you're thinking that you're the type of person who wants to share in some of those management responsibilities, when you are on the same page, like my brother and I are on the same page, it really can be a benefit because it's like a two-headed leadership monster. We're not on the right. same page with every single thing we do, but you can say, hey, I'm not in this world alone managing these, these practices. So in your process thinking, do you wanna share that type of decision-making with somebody else? Yeah, yeah, and you have to be willing to. The, <clears throat> the other thing, excuse me, is that sometimes I think people have a false sense of like, if I bring on a partner, it's gonna make it easier. Right. Or I have less work. But the reality is, like we're saying, if, if you're going to have to split the pie in two ways, the pie might need to be bigger. Right. And when the pie gets bigger, there are more problems and more challenges. Sure. And so you may have somebody that's there to help you with it, but- you know, your staff may have doubled too. Right. Your headaches may have may have doubled as well. So, it's not always like I have a partner. My life just got easier. Yeah, um, for sure. Because because yeah. you, you know you're, you're checking in with someone else on on so many decisions. They could be small decisions, medium decisions, big decisions. You know, uh, I think what you said before, Rob. If someone in in today's dentistry, the real value I think is that maybe you do want to open up more than one location. There are DSO opportunities for larger revenue size things. You cannot do that on your own, no matter mm -hmm. what. There's only one of you. Um, people say, well, can't I just be by myself and have 16 associates? That doesn't usually work out as well. There's a lot of one versus the whole rest of the team. Right. Uh, 
but you just like, you know, to, as cliche as it sounds, just have to be on the same page about the people part of what you do, the profit parts of what you do, the procedure parts of what you do. One thing I kind of admire about where I'm sitting here is like, you guys just do dental law. No one's like on the side being like, I'll do some divorce law, you know, on <laughs> right. Monday, right? right. Or right. someone say, you know, I'm going to do some like small, I don't know, small crime law. I don't know if that's a law, but you know, <laughs> you guys have your niche down into this thing. And we're talking mainly about general dentistry, the procedure aspect, who does what, who's good at what, what if there's one partner who has, does procedures that are so much more profitable and the other partner does procedures that aren't as profitable, but the practice has to run, sometimes that can cause some friction. Oh, and it does. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and also just sort of misperception that, you know, uh, hey, uh, this is how much I'm I'm grossing, I or revenue or my revenue, my production's better than yours. Yeah, but you require three people to right. you know, support what you're doing. Yeah. And um, you know, whereas somebody else may be a lot leaner from an overhead standpoint. And even though they produce less, you might be making more money. Yeah. You might be more profitable. But I think is I want to ask you a quick question, Rob, because you made me think this. Like, not many people walk up to the police in Philadelphia and say, "Hey, just want to let you know I'm not committing a crime right now." Just want to let you know I'm not committing a crime, right? They just see problems. Where do you, have you seen? And I'm sure maybe people. I don't know if anyone called you up five years after you did their partnership deal and says, "Hey, Rob, just want to let you know things are going well." They probably don't, right? It never they probably rarely do. happens. But where you, whether you see them at CE or at events, yeah. what is some of the best practices for partnerships that have you seen gone well in the process? Like, what did those people? not look like physically, but look like as professionals? I think, well, I can kind of say the two things, the, the problem points is probably an easy, easier way to answer that question uh, because I see where things go wrong. So there's yeah. probably a whole lot of ways that things can go right. And to your point, people generally don't come back to us yeah. after and say the partnership's going great. They will come back and say, we're going to hire an associate because the practice is thriving or we're going to expand our office into the neighboring space or we're going to do another location or buy another practice. Like that's sort of telling us that it's going pretty well, right? But nobody yeah, generally says, hey, you know, five years in business and, you know, so far yeah. so good. But where we see problems really are, you alluded to a few minutes ago, are just fiscal differences and expectations where, you know, you've got the partner that one partner wants to throw the $20,000 holiday party right. and the other one wants to buy supplies yeah. at, uh, at Costco. Yeah. Both are fine things. There's nothing wrong with either of those. Right. Those people probably shouldn't be partners though. Yeah. You know, like that becomes an untenable, uh, an untenable situation where it's hard to find compromise with that. Um, the other thing that we see are sort of somewhat related to that is where you have uh, one partner who wants to be more aggressive, shall we say, with how expenses are dealt right. with and uh, how uh, how the business is set up from a, from a, a business and tax structure, uh, and the other one wants to be very conservative in that yeah. regard and dot I's and cross T's. That's another thing that's hard to reconcile. Um, and you know there are, are business owners that are both ends of, the, of that spectrum. Right. Right? Neither uh, and neither end are they bad people. Although at one end you kind of do approach a place where it uh, it starts to become uh, a little bit of a, a problem from yes. a uh, yeah. from a legal standpoint. But <laughs> yeah, um, right. but nevertheless, you know it's it's like I always think it's funny when people go. Other people are doing that. Well, they're also doing it wrong. Oh, right? man, <laughs> go, if you oh, but, to- but my friend from dental school, you know writes off all of his nachos, but he's also doing it wrong. We have these conversations <laughs> in other contexts too. And this is probably good to, good to talk about, you know, and it's like, uh, somebody tells me they're going to do something. We start talking about what some of the problems are, why it may not be a good idea. And, and then they'll invoke that. 
well, why is this other person doing it? <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I mean, I have to like stop and I, and I, I frequently will pause in that situation and wait for them to realize how ridiculous that statement was, <laughs> right. you know, like, would you like, you know, as you know, you talk about your, your children, your girls, like, you know, they come back, like it's, you know, I, I climbed that tree at 25 feet, you know, <laughs> was that the best idea? Well, my friend did it. Well, sure. <laughs> and right. That's, that yeah, must have yeah. been great. Like, so yeah, looking at, at why other people do things uh, or looking at other people that for validation that what you're doing is okay, especially if those people are not, you know, professionals in the in that world. It's not like we're talking about Warren Buffett, you know, investing in a particular industry. Like maybe that gives you some sort of clue yeah. that, you know, there's a person that's informed that's doing that for a reason. But because some other dentist brought somebody on as a partner or they decided to buy a piece of real estate and, you know, in a building that's way too large and too expensive, yeah. doesn't make it a good thing the, to the do. Only, you know, I, I think this one thing gets a bad rap, Rob. Rob. You know, remember like Cosmopolitan would say they have those little surveys like, you know, are you getting along with your boyfriend? And, you know, it's fun. You know, sorry. Those are great surveys. I, don't I was, what you're doing reading no, that stuff. But like, I, I you know, that or like, you know, is, is <laughs> your is your mother-in-law, right. you know, too overbearing? Right. And you say, right. You, right. you take a 10 question quiz and <laughs> yeah, it yeah. says, Yes. I was at Visage yesterday yeah. and we did this for our team. And those surveys are great. I want to be like, take a survey, dental partners. Yeah. You get your 50 question survey. You get your 50 questions. You ask the holiday party, right? Right, right. Your partner wants to throw out a holiday party party at $50 a person. Is that insane? A good idea? Right. Or not over my dead body, right? Right, right? And I think at the end, you could, you know, come up with some you know, kind of maybe some trends to see if people would be a good fit or not. Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, like an online dating app. Yeah, you yeah, know, that's you, you sort of yeah. vet the, you know, the uh, particular areas and make sure that you're- Your a compatibility surveys before you sign up. Somebody asked me for that once. You know, they said, do you have a checklist? Like, the, that exact thing. I was like, wow, no, we don't. I mean, it'd be cool to do, but we, we don't have one. But we kind of rely on people doing that on, on their own because again, every situation is different. You know, the questions you would ask, but there are some basic ones. I mean, it's a- it's a good idea. We'll, we'll make a note of that. Yeah, the Paul, partnership we'll compatibility survey. Process. Um, so, uh, you know, you've had this discussion. You, you, you know, everything else checks out with your potential partner. You're ready to go to uh, to the next step, which is where you're going to start looking at the financial aspect yeah. of the deal uh, and start doing due diligence on, on, the, on the practice, the economics of the deal, and the deal structure. So, really, that's where you want to have a CPA yeah. Uh, involved. Um, maybe it's the practice CPA. If you're the person buying in, you don't want to just rely on the practice CPA because, well, I should say this should be obvious, but it's not always obvious to people. That CPA is the is sort of in you know, uh, uh, as loyalty to right. the the practice owner, right? And don't expect them to act impartially. Uh, it would be unfair to act yeah. expect them to act impartially if they've been confidants and they're professional for 30 years that all of a sudden they're going to right. act uh, in a way that's looking out for your best interest. So you shouldn't expect them to. So in that situation, you might want to bring your own, you yeah. should bring your own CPA on. That's when you're also engaging a lawyer uh, to let them know what you're looking to do. So, uh, and whether or not the lawyer is kind of the quarterback or the CPA, that depends on the situation and your relationship with each yeah. of those people and the nature of the deal. It's fine. You know, we work on deals that come to us where the CPA has gotten it to the point where we're ready for, right. for documents. And sometimes we're the one introducing the client to a CPA saying, okay, you need to talk to this person and come back to us when you are comfortable with what the cash flow looks yeah. like in the practice and the and the valuation, but it's it's important too to to make sure you have well both of these professionals at that point. 
Um, and, you know, from a legal standpoint, making sure that expectations are properly aligned. You know, we talked before about what financing looks like, that there's probably going to be a lien on the practice's assets. Right. Uh, so to secure the, the, the purchaser's loan, which is sometimes counterintuitive. So you want to make sure that discussion is, is out there at an earlier stage so that the, the current owner has is ready for this. Right. So you don't blindside them when we're we're working on documents and we're talking about the loan and we're going to close the deal in two weeks and then they find out for the first time that the practice that's been debt free for two decades is now all of a sudden going to have a, a lean on it to, right. to secure a million dollar loan to the to the new partner. That's just the way it is in most right. of these deals. Not bad, but it's something that you know if if that's managed right and those expectations are managed properly from the outset. And there are no surprises. Yeah, but I think there's, a, and I think you know one of the things you know as I will get dig into more things in future episodes. But if you're not willing to invest the time and money in the right advisors and right, just don't do it. I mean, we were from the tales of Facebook landed. We were both talking about that one person who posted about that oh, wild wacky lawyer that uh, wasn't going to. It just was such a wild story. So I, if I'm remembering it right, said the lawyer wasn't going to not negotiate, not talk to anyone but him, and he'd have to negotiate himself. It was just a, I couldn't You're even- You're gonna tell him what to say. Yeah, tell him what to say. And, and he I mean, said, I well, think, yeah. I don't wanna spend too much money on my advisors. And I said, it's just, a, that's a bad start. It's a yeah, bad start. These are once decisions that, you know, make impact your lives. So if you don't have the time and money to spend on advisors, just don't do it. Yeah, oh, for sure. Well, in that one too, like I, as you and I talked about, it's sort of like, be like showing up at the dentist. Like I've, I've got this crown I made, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, like, can you, can you put it in? Like yeah, this yeah. other dentist made it for? No, actually yeah. it's not even that. It's like the dentist gives you the crown and like sends you home with some instructions. Yeah, yeah. Like here's what you need to do. And, you know, make sure you get that. I'll numb that <laughs> yeah. up by the way too, because yeah. it might hurt a little. So I think that's just another especially for partnerships, be willing to, don't be cheap on such a big decision and say, oh, the practice has a CPA, get your own advisors right. to make sure this looks right for you. Yeah, um, It's either they're either gonna say it looks right and confirm everything or point out a lot of red flags. And I think that's probably one of the biggest parts of the process oh, yeah. is red flag identification. Uh -huh. I don't think there's any partnership that doesn't have any red flags. It's just right. like, how do you manage the red or orange flags? Mm -hmm. And and look and and no deals as we said every every situation is different, and you know it's important to to, to understand what it is that you're getting and what you know, what it's going to look yeah. like after the fact and what you can expect to make. And I think what what a lot of uh, potential clients shall we say um, uh, where they kind of lose sight of what it looks like to hire a CPA or a lawyer, and and people can roll their eyes right now and they're like, Rob, you're a lawyer, of course you're going <laughs> to yeah. say this, but. You kind of get what you pay for, right? Right. So um, you're you're paying somebody for paying them on an hourly basis to spend the time that's needed to be spent to do it properly for you, to be there with all the twists and turns right. and make sure it's okay. And unlike dentistry, and it's somewhat the same with the CPA too, but unlike in dentistry where there's some baseline quality that you have to deliver a right. product of a certain standard and it and it's got to be kind of like this yeah. you know and and you know that and, and obviously there are dentists that do a better job than others with certain stuff especially cosmetic yeah. stuff but still there's like you know if you want a crown you're getting a crown like this is a this is what an appropriate crown is you right. know and and maybe if you find the cheapest one you may they might not use a lab that's so great but like there's still some baseline standard when you hire CPAs and lawyers you don't have that you know, yeah, there's no exactly. sort of, and, and there's a lot of different ways to do it, right. you know? And so uh, where people really want to cut corners and, and hire somebody that's the cheapest and say, like, I got a lawyer, they'll do it for $3,000. Well, a $3,000 job 
on a lease negotiation or a partnership is very different than a $10,000 job. Because the $10,000 job, if rates are the same, that person spent three and a half times more on getting and your every thing single, right. Every single dentist knows what this looks like with dentistry. So it's just, it's mind boggling that they, they don't understand it in a field outside of them. So everyone knows what a $500 crown versus a $1,500 one. It's not necessarily a judgment. It's just every single dentist listening knows exactly what that looks and feels well, there like. There you go. From the, effort, from, the, from the effort and the materials. And it's once again, not judging the $500 crown. It's just mm-hmm. saying that, we all know what that is like, but this isn't just a crown on your lower right molar that, hey, if it doesn't work out so well, you can just get a new crown, right? Yeah. If your partnership doesn't work out so well, your life is now in a place where you don't want it to be. So it's just such a key point there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank, thank you for that validation. Oh, support, sure. Paul. My pleasure. <laughs> As always. Okay, so um, you know, you're doing the due diligence. Uh, you're talking about the deal structure. This is a good time to get the lender involved. Um, you know, you're going to talk to some lenders, especially with buy-ins. Uh, I think it's very difficult to get outside of the usual uh, dental-focused uh, lenders yeah. out there. Um, local banks generally don't have the appetite for these sorts right. of deals. Occasionally, but you know, we've talked about this before. You can spend a lot of time chasing something that you could just find easily. Right. That's all prepackaged and ready to go with a dental lender who's done. These deals, yeah, all the time, thousands and yeah. thousands of times. Um, so now here it is. You've agreed on the purchase price, the structure. You've got financing lined up. Now it's time, probably, for a letter of intent. This is something that you want your attorney to put together. Um, we've talked to him on the show about letters of intent. Generally, they're not binding. They shouldn't be binding. And again, binding in quotes, meaning it's not a contractual obligation that if one party doesn't follow through, that the other party could sue them. So this is not the contract. However, the terms of the deal that are reflected in the LOI are the deal. Right. So it's important because once you say this is what it's going to do, this is what it's going to be, and this is what the price is going to be, it becomes challenging to retrade that and put that genie back in the yeah. bottle. So even though it's not a contract, it's important to get it right. For sure. Uh, because if if you try to change it or add things or contradict things down the road, then uh, you could kill the deal. Yeah, I mean, everybody's brain works the same, Rob. You, I mean, I always, I think one of my jokes from, it was like, I would never give my daughters an LOI to get ice cream than not get ice cream, right? I right. would just be that's setting perfect. myself up for exactly. annoyance. So people always will say, well, well what, if, that's why, I mean, I do this, I've been a restaurant server, I've been a dentist, I'm a dentist, all those things. Whenever you tell someone anything, you can't untell their brain. That's it's impossible, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Rob, we are going to do three fillings. After the first filling, I'm like, I cannot treat Rob anymore. He doesn't open his mouth. He yeah. checks his cell phone all the time. Yeah. I now don't do I either of those things yeah, for that, the record. Rob is, yeah, Rob is a hypothetical. Oh, so what I want to say, Rob, is, hey, let's stop at one. And the first thing you say is, but you told me three. So yeah. now I tell people, we're going to do one filling. We're going to see how we both feel. Right. And then if we're doing it. so it's the same thing. This is even more because they're not going to forget what the purchase price looked like. Right. They're not going to forget about their employment percentage. Right. No. So well, you know. I, I think your ice cream ones, that, that's the best, that's the best analogy. You <laughs> yeah. know, like you don't tell your daughters like you're getting for ice cream, you put it down and, and it says at the bottom it's of the document, binding. this is a non-binding letter of intent <laughs> yeah. that I will not be obligated to take you to ice cream until we reach an agreement on definitive <laughs> documents that we sign. Right. And then you're yeah. like, we're not gonna ice cream, you see? Yeah. See, yeah. I got this and language. Who, and they look at you like you're nuts, and they should. Yeah. Right? 
who's unhappy then? Everybody. Yeah, right. right. Even, even well, if you, so, you hold exactly. up a piece of paper, the dad's unhappy, the daughters <laughs> are unhappy. Right. So, you know, that's, I think that's, that's one of those common things I get. I'm going to do an LOI. Do I need an attorney? I said, yes. They go, why? It's not binding. I go, that's why you need one even more. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Um, I think, you know, what, what kind of, uh, what kind of, you don't really want to enter into something that you're hoping to get out of anyway. Right, the goal exactly. would be to do an LOI to make things move forward. Right, right. Not an aha moment where, like I said, 500 for the practice, but now it's 350. No, yeah. that's, that's not going right. to be good. Or let's not put in there the things that we don't, like we have this expectation that production's not going to be, our profits aren't going to be split 50-50. They're going to be split based on production. But don't put that in the LOI. We'll spring <laughs> yeah. that on them later, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, to find out that, hey, guess what? I don't like this, you know? Right. And, and like, why not? That, that's the time to kind of get it all out there before you start spending real dollars on the preparation and, yeah. and the negotiation, the legal documents. Like this is your time to make sure you good. I'm good. Good. Right. We're good. Yeah. We're good. Right. right. Yeah. Good. Let's go. I like right. That. You know, um, and unfortunately this is where you see it sometimes in, in the world where you've got brokers or other people that are agents that are working on deals, whether you're looking at real estate deals or practice acquisitions or whatever, some of the ones that aren't so good like to kick the can down the street with this because they don't put that detail in because they want it to go to the next right, stage yeah. and kind of get the momentum. But they're the people that are trying to get a deal done, not the people that are trying to get a deal done properly right. for for each of you. So um, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. It's uh, it's a it's a key document, even though it's not a contract. So now here we go. Uh, we've got the LOI. We agreed on that, and now it's time to start working on the definitive agreements. Um, the you know, typically uh, what we're looking at is the suite of of contracts being a membership purchase agreement or a stock yeah. purchase agreement where you're buying the actual interest. Uh, and there's other ways to structure this yeah. stuff, but this is, we'll just kind of go over something that's fairly generic. You're looking at an operating agreement or partnership agreement, shareholder agreement. Yeah. This is the agreement that's going to govern the relationship of the parties going forward. So while that purchase agreement is important, that should just be a somewhat straightforward thing that here's what I'm selling. This is what I say it is. I agree. It's what I say it is. And I'll stand behind it. And this is what you're going to pay me for it. Yeah. Like that, that, that's what that is. And obviously it's got some more bells and whistles, but that partnership agreement or the operating agreement or shareholders agreement, that's an important one because that's going to say these are the rules of the road for how we're going to deal with each other going forward. Right. For yeah. the rest of our partnership, that document is very, very important. Uh, and then um, the you're probably looking at employment agreements, yeah. too, where each of you are agreeing to provide services for tax reasons. You know, there's without getting too far down that rabbit hole, you typically have separate employment agreements where you're being paid compensation gotcha. for professional right. services and then splitting profit depending on the type of entity you have. Um, and then a lease sometimes, yeah. you know, and whether or not that's a lease with a third party, uh, if that's uh, the, the current owner owns the, the building and then they're going to enter into a lease. I, with I the have practice. a question that became curious to mind. If, if you're leasing the space, is there any other hassles with the landlord when now they want to put someone else in the lease or is that fairly straightforward? It should be. It depends on the lease, you know. So uh, the lease, this comes up in the assignment section of the the lease, assignment and subletting, and it'll say if the sale of a certain percentage interest in the business constitutes an assignment of the lease that requires the landlord's consent. 
So it's a good question, Paul. You clearly Thanks. hang out with too many lawyers. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, that's something that, from a due diligence, legal due diligence standpoint, uh, should be looked at to determine whether or not you need to go to the landlord to uh, to get that approval. Let me just speak to the partnership agreement and the operating agreement stuff, because there is one thing that I think is important for people to understand, because it's sort of a recurring theme for us. A lot of times people will say, well, can you put something in the agreement that says how we're going to resolve a dispute if we want to do different things. And I mean, my style and my guidance, and I think really the, the lawyers in my office, well, we, we all yeah. kind of trained them, so I guess yeah. they've yeah. heard me say it long enough, probably share this too, that uh, there's really no good way to do that. Right. You know, we're not talking about disputes where we're talking about like, hey, we're gonna break up, that's a different thing. We're talking about, we want to do something and one person wants to do something, the other person doesn't want to do something. I kind of feel like, generally speaking, that's something that you just have to work out. Yeah. You know, like uh, very few successful relationships have a, you know, sort of a gun to the head mechanism yeah. to, to decide things. Like, it's not like, hey, are, where are we going to go on vacation? Well, you would like to go to Mexico and I'd like to go to France, right. but I hate France and I hate Mexico. Well, let's flip the coin. <laughs> yeah. You're going to Mexico, buddy, and right. you're going to like it. Like it doesn't that doesn't really go real far. You know, it's like And it's also projecting like you know be like, you know, I used to kind of bring it together sports now. If the Eagles are in the Super Bowl, but Mary has tickets to this art museum thing, how do we resolve that dispute, right? right. It a lot of these things have to unfold in the game of the partnership anyway. Uh -huh. So, I feel like projecting what they're even going to be is is like kind of a waste of time, right? Yeah, like, well, it what, should be. Right. You know, like, like, that, that's yeah. the point. Yeah. Like if you have this like structured process that you have yeah. to, automatic process that you have to follow, that you may not like the, the, yeah. the fallout of that as opposed to, hey, you know, I want to go to the game. She wants to go to the to the show. We're going to have to work this out, right. you know, and, 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 that's, and that's just the way it is. And it's the same thing with if somebody wants to buy $100,000, a $100,000 piece of equipment and the other person doesn't want to, like that piece of equipment shows up in the office because, you know, some yeah. dispute, you know, gun to the head mechanism or coin flip thing, uh, it says that it had to, that's potentially the beginning of the end of that partnership, right. or at least it could be. So I think, you know, understand that the limitations of an agreement, and we've talked about this in other contexts, like there's nothing a lawyer can do to make uh, by way of drafting an agreement to make a bad situation right. good, yeah. right? Like you can't say like, I don't really like this person. I'm not really sure that we're really cut out for each other. Can you do one of those really good partnership agreements, Rob, <laughs> yeah. that makes it good? No, right? no, we can't do that. You know, uh, or there's a buy-in, you know, the economics of this thing really aren't very good. The cash flow is not so good, but you know, can you bail it out on the agreement? Nope. Right. Not possible. Yeah. You know, we document things. We make sure that what's been agreed to is what gets to paper and we put in what happens if, if it doesn't. Uh, but, you know, we can't make a bad situation good. And I think that sort of extends to having unrealistic expectations about, well, gee, we can't solve our problems. So can we just have somebody else or some yeah. other thing do it for and us? Something struck me with this, but you were talking about this as a dentist, you know, um, when you do a regular asset, per when you do a regular transition, the amount of time that that 
seller and buyer interact is like probably like three years maximum, right? Yeah. And like even a DSO deal, those could be like five years maximum. Max, you're, yeah. you're looking at people for like decades right now. So right. I think like it's just more meaningful what you said because it's like time cures some of those problems with the seller buyer thing. One year associateship, they're gone. Anything? What's the worst thing that could happen? I know some. I know some things have gone awry. Right. But you're really setting these people up for this decade, decades long thing. So mm -hmm. it just needs needs more time, energy, and effort to make sure it's done right. Totally. Mm -hmm. But then even back to what I was saying before, it also, because of the length of the relationship, you just have to have the mentality that I am going to be partners with this person for better or for worse, right? right. And it's the same thing, like in a, in a relationship or a marriage. You know, if you think about what does, you know, how did you and Mary interact, you know, when you guys were in your, you know, late 20s, right? Right. With the issues that you had then, you know, you didn't own a house, you don't have, right. you don't have any kids, you know, like and now, you know, you have kids, you have different responsibilities, you have other businesses, yeah. you have other practices, you own the practice, like, th like the things change, the sure. the environment changes, you know, and so like, it, and if you said like. Hey, you know, we're 25, we're going to marry you, and this is the way we're going to do it from here on right. out <laughs> till, you know, we kick it, you know, like that's just not realistic. You know, it's hard. It would be For foolish. Sure. Too. And life is all about situational leadership anyway. So it's like, it's, right. it's just, it's like I said, it's, it's a waste of thought patterns to try to just figure that out before it happens. You just have to be within a partnership where you're willing to figure out problems, make compromises, figure out what preserves the partnership and your sanity, yeah. right? Maybe it is sometimes buying that CBCT and maybe the cheap dentist is wrong and the guy buying the CBCT or the woman buying the CBCT is helping the practice, but then maybe you have to let it win somewhere else, you know? Exactly. You know? Yeah, and, 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 and the exercise of resolving that those differences is important. Like again, uh, you know, I'm a lawyer. I'm not saying you don't need contracts, yeah. right? Or you don't need to cover certain basic things in a in an agreement. But you know, you can't expect the agreement to address every last thing. And and there's a level of commitment that, and, and you have to have that expectation going into it with that same mentality. Like, hey, I'm, we're we're going to go in this together. And there's going to be some things I don't like, and there's going to be some things that you don't like, and we're going to try to work it out together. And at the end of the day. Hopefully, this is going to be a good uh, a good partnership. Yeah, totally. So, just wrap up here at the end. So now, what we look at is you've now closed the deal. Um, we are now partners. Yeah. You know, now it's time to move forward. Of course, you know we've we've set the table for what the economics look like, how the profits are split. Sometimes there's more or less detail about what the respective partnership obligations are. And now here we are. You know, it's yeah. uh, we're we're dealing in the in the in the practice. We've got two owners that are 50-50 partners. You know, the old owner and the right. new owner. You know, what are some things that people should be thinking about and planning for for that transition and that onboarding of the new partner? I mean, for me, the people part is do everything in your power not to undermine the decision of the new partner unless it's, you know, immoral, legal, unsafe, something like that. So I think what happens is, you know, in these situations, an associate may have now been grown up into a partner, someone could have come from the outside, but there's no magic wine that just makes the team think this person that was the associate for the last seven years now has the same authority as the doctor that they could have been with before the associate started. I think right. that's one of the hardest things. Yeah. That office manager could have been there for 25 years. And now you're technically, I don't love the term boss, you know, but like you're their boss, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it's really key in the process for the older partner in this scenario to just be so supportive of the yeah. leadership of yeah. the newer partner uh, 
because if you're not, then they sense and smell that in two seconds and they will, the team will not necessarily uh, give the same words, the same weight as the older partners. I think that's key. Um, I think that with the profit part of it, you know, in general, I think both partners should be on their, I guess, best procedural behavior or striving their best to make the practice as profitable as possible right after they start. There's been an investment in the documents, investments mm -hmm. in doing this stuff. So I think it's like a good time to be be cognizant of your reactivation of your hygiene patients, treatment plan acceptance. I think it's kind of like this new world. And I think if the practice starts to generate more productivity, it's just a positive thing, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think those are kind of the people and the profit parts I would talk to. And I think also, I've learned this a lot, Rob, through my Vistage stuff. And I think people complain about meetings, right? They say, oh, we have too many meetings. But I don't know if there's too many meetings about the mission of your business that's possible. And I know that sounds a little bit hokey, but I think in this transformational time, it's important to take time outside of the game time. You know, dentistry can be a fast paced day. So create some time where you can sit with your team, talk about these things, hash things out. I don't think dentists do enough of that. Yeah. Well, look, it's communication, right? It, yeah. It's always it's always a good thing. Um, and I think to that point, it's really the, the commitment to setting the partnership up to succeed is what it yeah. is. And then, and then it happens by trying to prop the other person up and being respectful yeah. of them and deferential and, and, and working collaboratively. Um, you know, it's, if you have the expectation in any partnership that you're in that partnership to win it, you're yeah. probably- Yeah, it cuts both ways too. The newer party can't run in and just say, I hated these rugs for all these years as an associate, get them out now, no, right? right? So exactly. it's just, you don't want to threaten things that are not necessarily right. to be threatened. You know, I always say, I say to my team, is this unsafe? Is this illegal? Is this immoral? Let's just do it. Let's try it, right? See what happens. Right. And I think people would just live better lives if they did a little more of that. Yeah. You know, like, you know, it's whether you're buying a practice that you don't like the paintings on the wall. They've been on the wall for 20 years. Leave them for the first six months, right? Yeah. So it's the same thing that fits here on both sides. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a great uh, a great point and a great place to, to wrap up, yeah. Paul. So uh, thanks for, for listening, everyone. You know, we are, these are... The, the team, the people you need to work with, it's your, sort of the general order of operations with, with the process. And, uh, you know, you have to be mindful and careful and purposeful with this more than anything, I think, when it comes to sure. the dental world and doing transactions. And um, thanks, everyone, for uh, for listening, as always. And if you liked the, uh, the show, please give us a good review on uh, Apple uh, Podcasts or on Google Play or however you listen to us. Until the next time, thank you, Dr. Nacho. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with the Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.